0: I'm going to need to stop to go do oh, yeah, yeah. bread stuff. So we'll, we'll pick fun. this up right here. Pausey, pause. Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap up today. We're going to be talking about, uh, yeah, that thing that happened on Tuesday, uh, that thing that we've been prepping for for months and months and months. It was super Tuesday this week, which was election day. No, it was,
1: it was recycling day,
0: (laughs) recycling day for some parts of the city and county, but no, it was, it was election day throughout California and a huge swath of the nation. And, uh, it was, it was a long and, uh, exhausting uh, but also inspiring and uh, just all around pretty good day. I mean, we're we're gonna get into it s- exhaustively. Yes. But first, uh, how's it going, Bushido? Uh,
1: so apparently we've done this 99 times before. Yeah. So that's weird. It's <laughs> a Woo-hoo! lot of times to do this. We we uh, have sat
0: and shouted into the ether 100 times now. This is our 100th of of this content. We've yeah. also done you know other. Other things where we've, uh, you know, had other folks in here to do the reading series and stuff like that. But, yeah, 100 episodes.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and uh, uh, I was going to say, it's uh, L.A.U. news too much. There's there's too much. Just take a break for, like, a couple of weeks. (laughs) Just everyone go on vacation. And not, like, in the Coachella way. Like, actually, everyone just stop doing stuff. Uh And, yeah, just give us a break for, like, a week. But, hey, that means in uh, two more weeks, we will have officially done this for... Two years straight, which is also really freaking strange. That's uh because it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Uh but yeah, let's uh let's get into it first off by talking about everyone's favorite utility. Yeah, uh, PG and E. Uh, who's still out there just being absolutely great at their jobs.
0: Yeah. So, uh, we haven't spoken about them in a while. We've been like discussing, putting it up on the script, but, uh, like, when, when we do our write-ups for what we're going to talk about every week, but it never ends up making it because so much other shit keeps happening. Um, but it felt like it was time to touch back on this a little bit because, uh, in, in news reporting out of, uh, the, on the Sacramento B this week, uh, PG and E Corp, uh, is effectively trying to figure out how they're going to get out of bankruptcy. So here, here's what they said in the Sacramento Bee. PG&E Corp. struggling to exit Chapter 11 bankruptcy wants to pay as much as $453 million in bonuses to thousands of executives and employees. The utility asked a bankruptcy judge Thursday for permission to renew its bonus plan for 2020, saying in court filings that the payouts are needed to help the company implement its, quote, broad vision for a transformed PG&E, end quote. So, This is very interesting because this is coming on the heels of the uh, reporting just a couple of days or I think even just one day earlier from the NBC Bay Area who said, quote, lawyers for Pacific Gas and Electric said the utility can't commit to hiring hundreds more tree trimmers in the way that a federal judge wants to cut the risk of starting more catastrophic wildfires in California. Let me try that again. Yeah. Lawyers for Pacific Gas and Electric said the utility can't commit to hiring hundreds more tree trimmers in a way that a federal judge wants to cut the risk of starting more catastrophic wildfires in California. U.S. District Judge William Alsap ordered the utility last month to add at least 1,100 more tree trimmers to to help prevent trees and branches from falling onto its power lines and igniting. The judge is overseeing PG&E's criminal probation imposed after its natural gas lines blew up a San Francisco Bay Area neighborhood and killed eight people uh, in 2010. He has taken a strong interest in PG&E's safety record after the company's power lines started a series of wildfires that killed 130 people and destroyed thousands of homes
1: it's kind of amazing because it seems like there's at least $453 million that they have that they could use to hire <laughs> these tree trimmers. And like, I don't know what you're paying for tree trimmers, but that seems like it would cover the cost. Even if you're like subcontracting that, like nearly a half billion dollars in bonuses seems to cover all of
0: the employees yeah, they need there. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Um, so we're, there's a movement starting in this state that we've been talking about for a bit but uh, I mean well, you, it's, you it's been going that-
1: on for a while it's finally getting more legs yes. like it's finally getting buy-in from people in Sacramento it's yes. finally getting buy-in from mayors it's finally getting buy-in from like people who actually want to see this done and i'm so far not seeing a lot of pushback really from a lot of people i think we'll see more of it especially on the environmental side especially when we're talking about people who are more intimately familiar with the legalities of like how utilities work yeah. and operate because You know, we need to have the discussion about what it looks like when we municipalize or like nationalize the energy grid and how we would then deal with like the existing problems that we have without bankrupting the state of California. And that's not a discussion we're having yet. We should move into that. But we also just need to get to a point where like we're actually putting breaking up PG and E and like its constituent parts on the ballot or in front of voters or in front of the the statehouse in Sacramento, because we're still not doing that. Like the current policy debate is how much how big of a check do we cut to pg e to bail them out this time? Like, that's always the discussion we're having.
0: Yeah, and it's a discussion that really just is not, has literally been getting us nowhere uh, for a long period of time now. And it, it's, it's so past due for us to have that conversation because it literally, you know, hundreds of people uh, have been killed as a result or, and, and thousands of people have been displaced as a result of these Absolutely insane firestorms that have been kicked up because PG&E cannot get their shit together and handle the basic maintenance that is part of their responsibility. It's not just their jobs. It's their moral and ethical responsibility as part of the you know, state of California that they do not put these thousands, tens of thousands of homes in danger putting thousands of lives in danger, killing hundreds of people, killing seniors who had no chance to escape from their homes because the, you know, the fire conditions got so bad and, and this fire sparked so close to uh, paradise that it, it, you know, it swept through, the, through that community before these seniors were even able to get out of their homes. Uh, it's just absolutely devastating to think back on what pg and has been able to get away with and then see them like turning around and being like, yeah, we want to give a half a billion dollars in bonuses. Like what? Why? Why the fuck do you get a bonus when you've got literally blood on your hands? Yep. What in what world does that deserve a bonus? Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, that's yeah. You know, we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll keep following up on that one, but it just we hadn't shouted about it in a while, and we needed to, and it's it's really depressing. Well, and but. we're
1: we're almost back into wildfire season. Like yeah, you know, wildfire yeah. season here in in California now is almost a twelve month affair, and we've had like. Not the wettest winter ever, um, and it's that's probably not. It's probably it's been a good really thing. Really
0: dry for the last two months,
1: which is good and bad because that means there's less stuff that grew that that's can true, burn very true. quickly. But that also means that there's going to be more like dry fuel out there to catch when the summer really gets like started. Yeah. So, again, like when we get to wildfire season, it's going to be you know really terrible, and uh, we haven't done enough to build resiliency. But let's talk about some steps that the state of California, uh, at least the voters. Took towards like doing that in the right way. So, as we mentioned, obviously the primary election was Tuesday. It was on Super Tuesday, uh, which it was. This uh, is the
0: first time it's ever been on Super Tuesday. Well, this is the first time
1: California has ever been on Super Tuesday because they bumped it up because they were tired of like just being seen as like a cash register (laughs) and wanted to have like our votes count more, which I think we, you know, successfully made a good move. It was overall kind of a mixed bag uh, across the nation. Obviously, Joe Biden seems to have taken home more delegates than yep. Bernie Sanders did, uh, at least on Super Tuesday. There's still like a lot of votes out there across not just California but other states that are left to be counted. So we'll have to see how that finally shakes out. But there's also, you know, not to spend too much time talking about it, but the the number of Democratic uh, candidates who dropped out and immediately endorsed Biden yes. obviously swung some of those votes. Uh, Elizabeth Warren waited until after the primary to drop out and has not issued any kind of an endorsement. So we'll have to see which way that one goes. But as of right now, Bernie and Joe Biden are basically neck and neck. Uh, It's going to be a really like intense race from here. So if you do have the chance to like go to another state to like knock doors for Bernie, this is the time you need to do that. Like if you're in a position where you can do that, please do. If all you can do is phone bank and text bank, please do that. Like we need to make this push for the next couple of months. And then hopefully getting through the the convention and moving on to Trump, it's not going to have to be as intense. Because I think- The big fight for Bernie, unfortunately, is winning the Democratic Party, not defeating Trump on a national level. Yeah. Uh, And that says a lot about the Democratic Party (laughs) and how rigged this contest is. But let's go to the results here in California. Bernie took, well, Bernie took the state of California. He took L.A. County with uh, about 350,000 votes. Now, Now, as we're talking about election results for L.A. County, there are still, as of 5 p.m. on uh, March 5th, 850,000 votes left to count in the county of Los Angeles. Well,
0: so this I'm looking at the, the press release from last night. Yep. And it says the estimate number of the outstanding ballots left to be counted is 802,380. And, oh, they've, okay. and they've counted uh, roughly 1.3 million. Uh, and so that, uh, that means that the, um, the total turnout is currently at 23.5%. But it's going to keep climbing up as they then continue to count that eight hundred and two thousand, but that means that, so
1: it's it's going to be about thirty percent
0: yeah, yeah, so about half again as many people uh have voted that have not been counted. So we're looking at roughly two uh, around two thirds of the of the ballots have been counted at this point, yeah, and it's you know realistically, these numbers that we're looking at now are probably pretty indicative of what's been going on, but we'll talk about a couple of the races here where The late votes have certainly been breaking in a specific pattern, which if they continue to go that way with the remaining third of the votes that need to be counted – uh, we could have some very fun results coming up. We're not entirely yeah. sure, but we'll 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 see what happens. So
1: it, it takes a while to count all the votes here in so California, many. but we're, we can at least take a snapshot. And like some of these races, the close ones may change. The vast majority of yeah. races are locked in. Yeah. But let's kind of outside of the Democratic uh, primary, there are a couple of other primary races I wanted to just mention, because um, it, it's interesting to talk about what the potential third parties in this country are up to. Yeah. So uh, the American independents are kind of Notorious for people accidentally registering. Yeah,
0: because if you if you but, were trying to sign yeah. up before and you were like independent, because that's what they, they listed themselves as. I N D.
1: Yeah, well, it's it, yeah, you have to be that's no party be. preference. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But so for the American Independents, they seem to have gotten themselves about eight thousand people participating <laughs> with a man by the name of Phil Collins, not the drummer, uh, coming out on top there. And I'm just sad it's not the drummer <laughs> because that would be great. Uh, now the Green Party uh, had a pretty like contentious primary. Uh, but not that many votes. Like just my kind of back of the napkin math here is like maybe 2,000 people uh, in LA County voted with Howie Hawkins coming in first. And then uh, Sednam, who's an activist from South LA, uh, came in fourth, but they're only separated by like 200 votes. So there's not (laughs) a lot of action for the Greens in LA County at the moment. Uh, Now, my favorite race though, is the presidential preference race for the Libertarians. Because they have like 12 different people that you have never heard of. Wow. running, wow. except for, for uh, Vermin Supreme. Hey! And Vermin Supreme got a 10% of the vote with 326 votes in L.A. County. <laughs> and I kind of feel like a dumbass because I voted for Bernie and I could have voted for Vermin Supreme. <laughs> uh, other than that, you know, the the Peace and Freedom Party seems to be going with Gloria LaRiva, uh, who is a, a, a activist and organizer here uh, and is working on a lot of social justice issues. It, it's weird because Howie Hawkins, who is leading the green field, is also running for Peace and Freedom. So I guess he's kind of trying to capture all the outside Interesting. parties. Interesting. Uh and then last but not least in a a surprise upset in the GOP primary, uh yeah. Donald yeah. <laughs> Trump has taken 88% of the vote. And I don't know if anyone saw that coming when they could have <laughs> voted for people like Joe Walsh, hey, or a uh, Zoltán István um who, who I just like I've never heard of him but I love his name. Okay. Uh but yeah, so the the presidential primaries have like Shaking out, I think, the way that we all kind of assumed that they would have with some not really surprises in the South, but Bernie not getting as strong a showing. I think a lot of that is racked up to the endorsements that he got from like Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and a lot of people um, kind of being force-fed this cable narrative that Joe Biden is the front-runner and is the only option. Because if you watch MSNBC, if you watch CNN— Those are the only, it's the only candidate they talk about in a really positive way. And then it was interspersed with Bloomberg ads, but Mike Bloomberg obviously has dropped out after spending $600 million. (laughs) Um, And so it's kind of like, as the field consolidates, the number one issue that we're going to have to confront is Joe Biden. And the way that we beat him is by being unabashedly anti-war. Like Bernie wins on a peace platform and that's how we're going to have to go after Joe Biden. Like that Iraq war vote. He can never be allowed to escape, and like Correct. there was some good video from About Face of veterans, like
0: you confronting know, confronting him, him about yeah.
1: it, and it shows that like Joe Biden is not prepared for that because he has no idea what to do, and his handlers are just scrambling to try and protect this like mushy-brained old man from valid criticism. Yeah. and it's only going to get worse.
0: No, and there's so they actually played a really uh, a really poignant clip on uh, on the Chapo episode that came out this week um, following Super Tuesday, where there's a clip of. Joe Biden back in 2016, looking like a totally different person and pointing out how Bernie Sanders accurately represents and embodies the desires of the mass electorate of the democratic party Yep, and pointing out like how, how much uh, Bernie has his finger on the pulse. The thing that was shocking about that clip was just the level of coherence that Biden has in that clip and how, put together his, his thoughts and his sentences are relative to the way that he is when he's on stage now talking at these debates or at these various town halls. Like, I mean, he's always been a a man of many gaffes, but it's, (laughs) it's really just shocking the, the, the level of what appears to be cognitive decline that we're seeing in him where, you know, there's that clip from South Carolina where he's like, I'm Joe Biden. I'm running for the Senate. If you want to, don't want to vote for me, vote for the other guy. It's just like,
1: well, and, and today,
0: <laughs> what are you doing up well, there?
1: Today, and today being Friday when we're recording, yeah. uh, Donald Trump tweeted out at Joe Biden and basically attacked Joe Biden. Well, he didn't tweet at Joe Biden; he tweeted about him yeah. and how Joe Biden has tried to cut Medicare and Social Security, which is a
0: huge albatross well, the, around his neck.
1: Well, but the the fact that Donald Trump can effectively run to Joe Biden's left That's, is a really bad sign, and yeah, I think it's a, yeah. a sign of things to come. Like, I really you know, if Biden gets the nomination and he goes to November against Trump, it's going to be like the second coming of Reagan. Like that electoral map is going to look really, 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 really bad. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be the Democrats' fault for like, going with someone has a never won a primary up until this, his third run. <laughs> yeah. And let's not forget like the other two times that he ran for president, or ran for the nomination and dropped out. He didn't drop out because he was beaten fair and square. Uh, he dropped out because he was embroiled in scandals. Yeah. Like ter- he did you terrible things and lied to people and like plagiarized <laughs> you stuff. You can't
0: plagiarize a British politician's speech and, and, the, and get away with it. Like well, it doesn't and work.
1: The, the thing is like after that, like so many of the bad, terrible things that he did came after those runs anyways. Oh yeah. You know, sure. and, like, So it's, it's
0: going to be also, he's the author of the fucking crime bill. Yeah. Like we cannot forget that he was the author of the crime bill. Like this is, and what he did to Anita Hill and the way that he just got bowled over in those hearings is, is it's, it's disqualifying, utterly disqualifying. He's does not have the wherewithal to be a strong leader in this country he has apparently no spine when it comes to standing up to the Republicans. This bullshit about reaching across the aisle is—it's—it's it's how we managed to get nothing done after the the uh, Affordable Care Act uh, under Obama's presidency is like this constant attempt to try to reach across the aisle and compromise before we had even gotten to the negotiation tables. So it's—I—I I, I don't know. The—the the, I'd also recommend if you are not familiar with it. Uh, there's a great dollop episode out this week that's just absolutely uh, traumatizing to listen to, but incredibly important uh, where they take a deep dive into the Anita Hill hearings and the testimony, um, you know, that was chaired by Joe Biden and is why we have Clarence Thomas on the Supreme court, a man who has single handedly done everything he could to, you know, take uh racial progress in this country backwards as much as he can. And, you know, he just, uh, an utterly unqualified uh, Supreme court nominee that got yeah. to the bench because Joe Biden is well, before we good at his job.
1: Yeah. Before we get too bogged down in yeah, Biden, uh, cause like <laughs> this is all covered ad nauseum in the press. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's move on to the LA city council races and we'll start kind of just by running down the ones that uh, went the way that we kind of expected them to. And the ones that sure. were the incumbent pretty much closed it out. Uh, so in district two, Paul Kerkorian walked away with 66.6% of the vote. So hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> in district six, Nuri Martinez ran away with it with 71.6% of the vote. So wow. the new council president, uh, definitely feeling like she's got a mandate in her district. Yes. Uh, Marquise Harris, Dawson got 100% of the votes because he had no competitors. Yep. No one made the, the ballot to go against him. Uh, in S- district 12, it looks like John Lee may close it out. It's yeah. going to be hard to tell in that one right now. He's ahead with 52% of the vote, which would close it out. But Remember, he lost the primary last time uh, in the same scenario where it looked yes. like he was ahead for almost a week, yeah. and then Lorraine Lundquist came from behind. So with 800,000 votes in the county left to, to count, there could be some changes there. Yep. Uh, in Council District 14, Kevin DeLeon ran away with it with 53.8% of the vote. However, Cindy Audison, who was endorsed by Ground Game and recommended by Knock came in with 18% of the vote, so she was on top of the competitors there, which is not a bad showing. No. Especially when you're running against the entire political machine, which is backing uh, Kevin Damon. Yeah, and an
0: incredible amount of money. I think he spent something like $800,000 on this campaign cycle. Well, and and
1: it's it's also one where people are very aware that he doesn't care about winning the council seat. I mean, he does, but he only cares about that as a step towards winning the mayorship. Like, he wants to be mayor of LA. He wants to run in 2022. That's what his plan is, so this is more him positioning himself for another run than anything else. And yeah, I think he might actually have a good chance at at the mayorship just based on like how strong his machine is. Yeah.
0: I think that that's, that's very true. And we'll see, it's going to be really interesting to see if Cindy and like Raquel uh, come back in and run for this seat again in two more years when inevitably, you know, Kevin DeLeon has to, you know, step back from, this uh, what appears to be a a, a a thorough victory for himself in that yep. council seat that he's going to be taking from uh, our favorite uh, Jose Huizar. Yep. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see if she if, uh, you know, Cindy or, or Raquel can hop in and, and and run in the same kind of a way. Uh, and, you know, Monica Garcia was coming in here trying to throw her political weight around. And just got absolutely shellacked. She pulled in only eleven percent of the vote.
1: I actually saw her uh, her mailer on your your table. Oh there. yeah, and like I honestly did a double take because I was like, wait, <laughs> w- she was running for yeah. city council?
0: Like to be fair, so she her mailers only started coming in about a week ago.
1: I didn't even realize she was running though. That's and the thing man, is, like fair. she has name recognition in LA. She has one elected office before, yeah. and I had no clue she was trying to be a city councilwoman. Oh, yeah. Not a clue.
0: Yeah. Well you know, I live in the 14th district. So the the number of mailers, oh my God, I've been getting at like at least one or two mailers from Kevin DeLeon every day for like a month. Uh, it's absolutely insane the amount of money that he spent on these mailers. And, like, I actually I got a couple of them from Cindy, and they were really, really, really very well done. Um, and it didn't, uh, like, the Monica Garcia stuff didn't start coming in until uh, about a week ago. And it's really yeah. just like, you're too little, too late. And yeah. this, you're running basically as like uh, an anti Kevin DeLeon candidate while not addressing the issues. And I think it actually. Legitimately shows like she only pulled in 11% yeah. of the vote and Cindy took 18 yep. and Raquel who uh, received like I think she got the uh, the second endorsement it, it, from it bite like the 14. Vote. Yeah. yeah, she pulled in thirteen and a half. So that's uh, a solid showing for the yeah. actual progressive. Uh, so the progressive women candidates versus, you know, like Monica Garcia, the uh, charter school machine candidate. So I'm I'm kind of happy about that. I'm disappointed to see that you know Kevin DeLeon would wouldn't sign the pledge to sit in the seat for the full four years. But you know it is what it is. So
1: he's got he's got ambitions. Uh, no kidding. But uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the two races that will be going to hey. run off. because out of out of the uh, let me count here real quick because I'm bad at math. Two four it's six seven. seven. <laughs>
0: see half I- of fifteen, but it's the even, so it's the lower half. You round down for the evens.
1: You know what? They don't ask me to put stuff in space for me. <laughs> um But yeah, so, so in uh, Council District 4 and Council District 10, we're going to have runoff. Yeah. And I want to point something out before we kind of get into this, is in Council District 4 – you can see the strength of a literal ground game and movement-based Hell candidate compared yeah. to every other district. If you look at just the number of people who voted in council district four versus the number of people who voted in every other council district, it is night and day. Like David Ryu has got 21,000 votes and change. Nithya Raman has 17,000 votes and change. Literally no one, uh, no, I'm sorry. Only old- like two other contests saw vote totals for a single candidate above Nithia. Most of the other races, like the people who won the race, won with around 15,000 votes. So like getting out there on the ground, getting people jazzed.
0: Three of them got more than her. It was uh, Paul Krikorian, John Lee at this point, and Marquise Harris-Dawson.
1: Yeah, exactly. But But Marquise Harris-Dawson, like that was (laughs) was everyone who voted. (laughs) Right? Like like, Nithya's turnout was almost as big as people who turned out in that entire district. Yep. So like getting out there on the ground, getting people excited about the race, getting people to like know about the race, gets them out to the polls, which is fundamentally ground games like founding thesis that like we can get people engaged by meeting them where they're at. And this is showing that working. It's also showing that working that um, we were able to keep David Ryu, who's a generally like popular um, city council member who has pretty strong links to like. His community, he works very closely with his neighborhood councils. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of connections to the business interests and the cultural communities up in his district. Is still being given a run for his money. He raised the most money out of any person in any city council race. Oh, yeah. More than a million dollars. Nithya had about a quarter million dollars. Something like and that. It, it, that. And David Ryu at this point is up by about eight points. That's probably going to come down as the rest of the votes get counted. Yep. But right now, those eight points— Those couple of thousand votes that cost him, you know, a million dollars. And that's got to be a question that you have if you're an incumbent, like, can you afford to raise and spend that money for the next cycle to stay ahead of like, what's a fairly lean and volunteer sponsored operation?
0: Yeah. Um, So there's actually some good coverage from the LA Times about this exact situation with District 10 and District 4. Uh, And basically what they're coming in and saying is that we've got these upstart candidates that are, you know, putting... Putting the fear of the uh, electorate into these elected officials. So, quote, but a pair of upstart candidates, nonprofit leader Nithya Raman and an attorney Grace Yu, could end up forcing their more established opponents into runoff elections in November, even as other political heavyweights were cruising to victory. County election officials are still counting ballots, but if the m- numbers hold, Raman will face off against Los Angeles City Councilman David Rue in a council district that stretches from Sherman Oaks to Silver Lake. You could go head-to-head with longtime county supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas, an elected official for three dec- dec- decades to represent
1: a Crenshaw to
0: Koreatown district. So,
1: yeah. I mean, it's interesting to group Nithia and Grace Yu <laughs> yeah. in the same breath because yeah. like, they <laughs> represent fundamentally different things in this city. And like, granted, they are both political outsiders, but Correct. Grace Yu, I would argue, has been more in with L.A. politics for longer than like oh, yeah. Nithya has because she worked at City Hall, but she wasn't a politician or a no. politico; she was a, a policy analyst. Whereas Grace Yu has been like doing the sort of like activist, um, NIMBY thing for a while. Yeah, and that's she, the other she thing she to talk about. An, is like
0: an, an assembly delegate for the California Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, like I remember her winning a seat on the first ADEM election that I ever took part in in early 2017. So well and like, also
1: not to not to discount her work with the Preserve LA coalition, which yeah. like she <laughs> threw their weight around a lot, got several developments blocked, uh lobbied for having Parker Center turned into a uh shelter complex. Like she's done a lot of work. And we also can't forget she was part of the resistance to the bridge shelter in Koreatown. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah, granted, like,
1: you know, it, it the district that she wants to represent abuts the district yeah. that Nithya wants yeah. to represent. And where the shelter was would be in Grace's district in CD10, formerly of Herb Wesson. And I think it says a lot that, like, that's kind of the two different sides. And also, when you look at the difference between where Grace U came in and where uh, Nithya Raman came in, that's only 7,100 votes versus <sighs> Nithya got 17,000. Mark Ridley-Thomas has also got to be, like, questioning, like, how effective his machine campaign has been because I think he wanted to close this out. And having an attorney that doesn't have a political machine nipping at his heels has got to be scaring the hell out of him. Also, like, how does a man with this many scandals still show (laughs) up in public? Like, how do you do that? I just, like... Shame would be a motivating factor in me to not show up after I got caught for like the fifth time trying oh, to launder yeah, money. Yeah, but I don't know, Mark. You're you're a special guy.
0: No, he's so fun fact. He also uh, was making some waves at the County Board of Supervisors this week following the election, uh, basically demanding that things get looked into as to why the why election night was such a frankly a shit show here in L.A. County. I mean, we were looking at. People were waiting hours and hours and hours to vote. There were people still in some of the South LA voting centers. There were people waiting in their cars to get into the parking lot before they could even get in line to vote. And that was at like 11 o'clock at night.
1: Before we get into that, because we're going to be Uh, doing a big thing on that next week. Yes, yes, yes. We've got uh, somebody from Ground Game coming in. We're going to do a whole deep dive on the voting problems here. So we're not going to do it too much now. You're probably aware of them. We're going to get to the bottom of them. But it is like kind of condescending and stupid that Mark Ridley Thomas is sweeping after the election to be like, what's the problem?
0: (laughs) What's the problem? Why did I not win?
1: But so city council looks like it's pretty much going to remain intact with the people who are sitting in those seats beforehand. Uh, It looks like uh, Ryu is... Going to have a fight on his hands if we have anything to say about it. Yeah. And we do. Mark Ridley Thomas is also going to have a fight on his hands. And it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out and whether, like, the distrust of Mark Ridley Thomas is enough to overcome people's distrust of Grace U. Yeah. Like, would voters rather have the new face of Grace U, or would they rather like go with the kind of safe but corrupt option of Mark Ridley Thomas? Um, I honestly have no idea. It's, it's going to be a really interesting fight to so see from here for on what out. It's worth, and then the other, the last thing to keep an eye on is. Council District Twelve. We'll yeah. let you know if that one flips. Yep. But again, with eight hundred thousand votes across the county left to count, there could be some big changes there because again, they're only separated by about twenty three hundred votes. Yes,
0: it's crazy. And and so, uh, fun little you know capstone for the uh, CD ten race. Uh, K Town for All is um, potentially going to be launching a write in campaign to try to get somebody else other than these two candidates because Grace U is actually. One of the one of the folks at the uh, focal point for why K Town for All exists, yeah, um, because it was her leadership of the anti-shelter protests uh, that really got folks that be- became K Town for All out on the streets fighting back. Was against her. So so this
1: is actually a good segue into the County Board of Supervisors yeah. because there's another person connected to the uh, shelter, the bridge shelter huh. protesting Korea Funny town how that who was also running for an, for an office he was running for a uh, supervisor uh, district 2 yep. uh, which was uh, held by Mark Ridley Thomas before this uh the person I'm referring to uh rather uh tangentially at this point is is Jake Jong, and Jake Zhang is an attorney uh, he's worked with a lot of developers he's very connected to the <laughs> Korean business community uh he only got 6.5 percent of the vote. Uh, and unfortunately, will not be carrying bye on to Jake. challenge Herb Wesson, bye bye uh, but Herb and Holly J. Mitchell will be going on to November, yep. which is a really good one. Because I think, again, we have two very different visions for what L.A. can be yes. situated between these two. Holly Mitchell has been incredibly progressive up in the state Senate. Uh, she was an assemblywoman before that, right?
0: I honestly forget. But I, I think, think she so, was.
1: Yeah. I, um, but she's been a very progressive, like... Representative up in Sacramento, pushing for a lot of uh, homelessness legislation, pushing for a lot of like renter protections, pushing for the stuff that we want to see. Herb Wesson has also paid lip service to those things, but pursued very different policy courses. Now, he obviously is coming off his term at the L.A. City Council where he was formerly the president of the L.A. City Council and presided over several years of like unanimous consent. Yes. And now that he's leaving and that leadership style is changing, it'll be interesting to see – A, how well it holds up under um, uh, uh, Nuri Martinez. There we go. And then also like how the rest of the board of supervisors kind of looks at him and wants to work with him. So I'm going to be excited to see this one. Obviously, we're pushing Holly Mitchell. Um, We recommended her. We are definitely saying that like she's the one you should pick in November. Not that Herb isn't a nice guy, but uh, it's time for a change. I don't think he's as effective a legislator as he wants to be. The other two uh, races for county board are actually... Kind of super boring, unfortunately. So in District Four, <laughs> uh Janice Hahn. Yeah. Janice Hahn walked away with it with 76% of the vote, which, like, she's not the worst supervisor we've ever yeah. had. She's not the best, but you know, she, she's she's she's, she's acceptable. Uh District Five, currently represented by our only Republican uh in in the county level, yep. uh Catherine Barger, will continue to be represented by Catherine, Catherine Barger, me. who got 59.3% of the vote eclipsing her two uh competitors uh john harabedian and daryl park yeah they did we we endorsed daryl park still think we're missing a good opportunity for him to, yep. to take the reins but you know so be it uh maybe we can convince katherine barger at least to like take fewer helicopters at the taxpayer expense <laughs>
0: uh, because
1: luck. that's some bs uh but yeah so county board also looking pretty much the same as it did Uh, hopefully in the next election, we can actually shake some stuff up, but again, it's hard to deal with County board seats because, you know, they each each represent like 2 million people and there aren't, there aren't a lot of people who show up to vote for them in these races. Like I'm looking at, you know, 200,000 people voted for district five and it's like there are two and a half million people in that district. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not a fair representation, but let's move on to other, the
0: most contentious race that we are still looking at. Yeah, also a county level seat. Yeah, and it has us all on like pins and needles, basically, uh, is the district attorney race. So we're looking at this right now. As of the time of recording this, Jackie Lacey has 553,300 votes counted, which puts her at 50.29%. So she is within just a hair's breadth of going into a runoff with George Gascon because he's up 27.2% versus Rachel Rossi at 22 and a half. So the chance that we have to actually say goodbye to Jackie Lacey here in 2020 is it's, it's so tantalizingly close. I mean, we were looking at this uh, at the, uh, the BLM vigil on Wednesday. We were talking about this because the, original, you know, the, the early returns that came in had Lacey up like pretty solidly at like 54, 56 percent. Yeah,
1: but uh, only reactionaries vote that early.
0: I, yeah, this is true. And I, I was also pointing out to folks like, look, the, when you looked at these, those initial ballot drops, uh, it was something like 30 percent of the ballots that were counted in that initial drop were Republicans. And mm-hmm. it, it's really extremely telling because 30 percent of the Los Angeles County electorate is absolutely not Republican. Like it is, (laughs) that's not how this works. So, uh, Jackie Lacey, um, you know, we're going to see how things turn out, but I think that the actions of, uh, Dr. Melina Abdullah and the other folks from BLM, the incredibly, like, I don't know how else to describe it other than the iron will that they had and, and the you know the unflinching resolve that they showed when they were on they took the protest I mean, look we've been protesting in front of city hall or sorry, the Hall of Justice and uh, Hall of Injustice for more than two years. There have been weekly vigils held there every single Wednesday for more than two years. Jackie Lacey absolutely knows that we are there. Jackie Lacey has had the sheriffs put up barricades to push the protests off of the pavement and into the bushes because apparently, you know, the, that that public space is not actually for the use of the public uh, when it provides any kind of an inconvenience for our elected officials. Yep. So. She refuses to meet, she promised to meet with BLM activists, um, you know, multiple times last year and promised to meet before the end of the year. And so this was, you know, a protest that some folks say that it's you know, beyond the pale to go and, you know, take it to an elected official's home, but at the same time like what the fuck else are you supposed to do? Every other option has been exhausted. Every time that they've shown up well, to protest also, at any public hearing, they get shut down or, But also it down. doesn't
1: it doesn't make any effing sense no. because like when you're an elected official, you're no longer a private citizen. Yeah. You're a public figure. Yeah. You know, like your expectation of privacy is legally reduced. Like yes. there are court rulings that say yeah. what is yeah. and is <laughs> not appropriate for this kind of stuff. And this is fine. Like Ringing someone's doorbell totally is not illegal. Fun. That's totally not trespassing. Fun. When they say "go away," then it becomes trespassing. Yes. But the other thing is like waving don't open a fucking gun. Well, don't open the door with a fucking gun. Uh, like you know, opening especially the door when with, you have a goddamn ring camera right there. You can even see what's going on. You can look out the window. It's just you can just also ignore the door knocking. Like they're not going to bust open your door. And pointing a gun at people with your finger on the trigger is super dangerous. Pointing like waving around a gun with one hand. Like had he actually fired a shot, there's no telling where it would have gone. Like he was not doing this in control oh, yeah. or safe or like reasonable manner. This was completely unhinged and ridiculous. It, absurd. And there is no excuses to why that's okay. People are saying, Well, how would you like it if they came and knocked on your doorbell? It's like, you know what? Nobody's rotting in jail because of the work I'm doing. Yeah. There's a difference when yeah. you're the district attorney in the in the county that has the largest prison population in the fucking world. And like, on top of that, you if don't,
0: you don't want them knocking on your door, do your fucking job yeah. or
1: resign. Or, you know, like, do, it, do it better because yeah. in her job, or in her view, she's That's doing her job yeah, just fair, fine. Fair, but yeah, fair. so before we get too apoplectic here, ah. because Chris looks like a, a vein is about to burst, and <laughs> I do not have time to run him to the ER if that happens. Uh, but the, the other thing I wanted to touch on in kind of a happy thing is in the Gascon versus Rossi kind of competition, they're pretty close. You know, yep. like he's got about five percentage points, about 50,000 votes, but for someone like Rachel Rossi, who has never run for anything, who has zero name recognition, who did not have nearly as much money as George Gascone or his, like, political apparatus to run for this, doing that well speaks very well of the movement. It's like, incredible. that was That was all community-driven. That was word of mouth. That was people getting out there making sure that people knew that there was a really progressive alternative. Gascone, for the most part, like, he's not perfect, but he would be much better than Lacey. Yes. And we really need to have that choice. Like, I think the worst thing that could come out of this is Jackie Lacey to feel safe in her job because she's already started the bullying tactics with black lives matters, vigils trying to push people off of public space. Yeah. Like she thinks she can win this one, which she can't, but I think what she's, she better not. What she's planning on is that she can just stave off any lawsuits until she like leaves office again. Yeah. You know, if she can make it, if she can survive this election, she feels like her hand is strong enough to keep doing what she's doing. I think she's discounting the fact that her weaknesses have been so revealed in this election that we know how to attack her effectively. And there's so much dirt that has come out of her office just in the last three weeks. Yeah then it's going to be really hard for her to survive this entire term. Yeah, and I
0: think that, that I think the gun-waving incident actually is going to impact these late-breaking votes. I do think that there is a very good chance that Lacey is going to be pushed into this runoff. And I can guarantee you that every single Rossi voter is going to vote for Gascon. Not oh, yeah. a single yeah. one of them is going to flip over to Lacey. And that yeah. speaks very well for what the portents are to come of like what's going to happen in November when this does hopefully eventually go off into a runoff.
1: And yeah, and keep in mind that, you know, with uh, 800,000 votes left to count, and that's, that's the a entire lot. county, The the this is the one race where those 800,000 votes really, really count. Absolutely. Because all of the city council races, much smaller districts, even the county board, like much smaller districts, we're not talking 12 million people in those races. We are talking 12 million people in the district's attorney's yeah. race. So this one- could really swing either way. And yeah, there's a like, lot of votes out there. Of
0: the 1.2 million votes that have been counted or 1.3 million votes that have been counted so far, v- like we're looking at 90 something percent of them voted for a DA candidate, like upper upper 90s, like 95, yep. 98%. I'm not doing the math you know, on a calculator right now. This is just in my head. I apologize if I'm wrong, but it's virtually every single person who cast a vote picked one of these DA candidates. So it's not like people are leaving this one blank. So yeah. those 800,000 votes, they're probably going to have the same thing. So we're, it's going to be really interesting to see. Because again, those 800,000 votes, the, uh, everyone who dropped off like a vote by mail on the day of, I don't think that they've actually result, re- released any of the results of those VBM drops on the election they day. They haven't yet. So we're looking at all of that shit that shook out on Monday and Tuesday that all still has not been accounted for. So I am I am very hopeful that Lacey is gonna get taken to a runoff and all of her dirty laundry is gonna be aired and she stands no fucking chance when that
1: happens. Yep. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to the couple of ballot measures that yeah. we, we all got to vote Some on. Some
0: weird shit yeah. going on. So
1: uh, the fire department uh, did not get their parcel tax because it <laughs> needed a two-thirds vote to win. Thank you, Howard Jarvis Tax Center, for damn it. absolutely destroying our ability to raise taxes on anything to pay for the stuff that we need. Yep. Uh, and got
0: then, 52.5%, but yeah, not, not enough. clear that uh, Apparently,
1: firefighters, you can go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> uh and then uh let's talk about Measure R because it's a little bit less Woo-hoo! complicated. But Measure R absolutely <laughs> ah, ran away with yeah. it at seventy-one point five percent of the vote at this point. So um good. So people good. resoundingly say that Alex Villanueva <laughs> and his sheriff department of like <laughs> ah. gang having deputies uh definitely need to be more heavily regulated. Absolutely. And we're really happy to see that one. Uh I know it's going to make the sheriff very angry, but oh, yeah. I also like I'm am excited part. to see the county board have some more tools that they can use to rein them in. And also, like, we just need more of this. Like, yes. we need actual effective civilian oversight. I know in, in Phoenix, uh, towards the end of my tenure there, we were fighting for a civilian rev- review board. It was community pressure that pushed the city of Phoenix to get the most investigative review board set up that was on the table. Like, of yeah. all the different options, they went with the strongest. And we need to keep the community pressure up they keep showing, like, we don't just want oversight. We want real and effective oversight, and we want it done in an intense way that allows for the community to actually investigate what the police are doing. Because let's not forget, L.A. County Sheriff's Department has a budget of, like, $6 billion a year. Yeah, It's absolutely massive. It's bigger than L.A. No, I'm sorry, $3 billion a year. Yes. Yeah, yeah. $3 billion. Uh, LAPD is a $1 billion a year. Sh- L.A. County Sheriff's Department has more officers but also covers more stuff, yes. and most of their officers are in jails. Yeah, the as we're cutting down the prison population as we're reformating how the criminal legal system works on the ground, the sheriff's department is going to have to change a lot. And we also really need to work on the fact that like in large parts of unincorporated LA, the only government out there is the sheriff's deputies. And that's yeah. not the way the system should work.
0: But the other thing to remember about Measure R is not only is this a demand for actual accountability and oversight over the sheriff, it is a truly, you know, this is not just reform We're talking true, like abolitionist movement here. Because what this measure does is it shuts down the funding for building new jails and instead forces that funding to be spent on actual restorative justice and other community centered programs that can bring real justice to the community instead of just retributive, uh, you know, punitive bullshit, which is what we've been using forever and doesn't fucking work, doesn't solve the problems. So it's, this is a huge, huge win for everyone who is, Pushing for actual criminal justice reform in this county, and uh, everyone who was involved in the Measure R campaign really ought to pat themselves on the back for this one. Uh, The reform LA jails like that they these people are amazing.
1: That movement got out there. They pounded the pavement. Yeah, they canvassed voters. I was getting text messages from like Color of Change and like for weeks before the vote even. Like as far as a a an issue that people might not necessarily think of as the most important thing they're voting on the people who are pushing measure R made sure that it was front and center Hell in the conversation yeah. and they they really really won this and to see you know 70% plus vote for oh. it like those <laughs> are amazing numbers on we're coming anything for you like this Illinois, year. We're so
0: coming for you
1: now uh let's move to the last uh ballot proposition and this one was a bit of a letdown so prop 13 <laughs> was a package of bonds to pay for public schools here in the um was in the state? It's for
0: the state, yeah. It's for the state. So I can just read some stuff from the LA Times on this to get us kicked off on it. So, quote, Prop 13 would have raised $15 billion from general obligation bonds for preschools, K-12 through schools, community colleges, and state universities. Although ballots were still being counted in Los Angeles County, because we fucked shit up, and the statewide tally is not complete, the no vote led 56-44, to 44, with virtually all precincts reporting at least partial numbers, according to the California Secretary of State. Well, so EE was absolutely a, like a partial... Tax, but yes, so what's what an interesting perspective here is that the last time that a school bond failed in the state of California was 1994. Ouch! Like, this is historic problems. But one of the things that people pointed out in the coverage of this is that the fact that it ended up being called Prop 13 was immensely stupid, um, because Prop 13 is like a thing it's it's literally referred to as the third rail of politics in california for a fucking reason like nobody wants the, every politicians have been terrified for decades to even talk about doing anything with prop 13 other than making it bigger and more protective for homeowners And there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of mailers coming out there from our good friends at the Howard Jarvis tax center and all of these other groups like that are pushing this, you know, there's the schools and communities first coalition that's coming together and pushing for, uh, a, a, what's being referred to as a split role, which is a huge deal and awesome. And getting that out there is like, that's part of what the discussion of what prop 13 is, is like doing a, a. A revamp of Prop 13 so that you can actually tax business and you know commercial and industrial property at appropriate levels because these properties never change hands for forty fucking yeah. years. But anyway, so Prop 13, yeah. it's 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 there's been confused messaging because this was like a Prop 13 that people probably should have been more supportive of versus that Prop 13, people are already getting weird messaging about it and it's just
1: yeah, that bizarre. was a, a weird a weird thing to name it. Uh, but even beyond that, there was some controversy because. The in the package of bonds, there was money in there for charter schools. And there were a lot of people <laughs> who were like pro public school who were very down on the on the on the package of bonds because it would provide money for charters. And I feel like I'm a little bit of two minds where I don't want to feed more money into the charter school system. At the same time, the kids who are in the charter school system do deserve like better facilities and better schools. And better like access to education and teachers. And we can't get that to them if we are just like destroying the charter schools. Like we're still at a point where, especially here in LA County, we're kind of relying on charter schools to pick up a lot of the flack that the public school system is just like failing to deal with. And until we actually have an adequately functioning public school system, we're stuck with the charter schools. We can't shutter every charter and like then shove those kids into a public school. That's not ready to deal with that capacity. So we've got—it's going to take us a few years to unpack this. So while I understand the skepticism of, like, hey, we don't want to vote for money for charter schools, this seemed like a compromise okay. Like, it was not the, the vast majority of money. It was like a half billion dollars out of $15, $15 billion worth of bonds that would have gone to charters. Uh, and I know there were, like, some people who out there who voted against it, but it'll be interesting to see how this goes moving forward because we've had this happen twice. We're like, we had the UTLA strike— this the county came to the voters and said hey we want more money for schools and the voters said no and now the state has come and said the same thing and the voters say no and everyone complains so about our school system <laughs> so you're just like what the hell do you like it's the it's it's Ned's parents you know we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas
0: yeah i'm i mean this is why i'm really hopeful that the actual split roll stuff is going to be a a good fight that people are going to learn about uh, it's going to be so hard it's going to be a mess it's going to yeah. be an absolute mess but It provides a far, far more resilient funding model for fixing our educational system moving forward. So, uh, I mean, this one failing, it sucks. But at the same time, like, there are much bigger fish to fry coming up in the November election.
1: So let's move on to some of the congressional races. We're not going to cover all of them because, like, there's just so many. And also, like, unfortunately, many of them were just not competitive. Like, it was either, like— there were only two people running, or there was only one person running. But uh, I want to start start off up in District 12, which is San Francisco, where Shahid Batar Woo-hoo! is going to be taking Nancy Pelosi to the primary. Now, this is going to be an interesting one yeah. because, like, Nancy won like 60% of the vote, and yeah. Shahid Batar only pulled down like 17%, Shahid, but, yeah. which is like, oh, Shahid. 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 Yeah. Shahid. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I'll, I'll learn to pronounce it's, names. It's all one good. Hand. It's all but, good. But uh, Shahid pulled down uh, like 17% of the vote, and while that makes him competitive going into the primary, it shows up the deficit that he has to make up. Yes, and you know, Nancy Pelosi just has a lot of built-in support because she's been in that job for effing ever, and, and this she's is a the first time. Name. Well, and this is the first time she's had to really face like a primary challenger in a long while. 30 so
0: thirty-something years.
1: Yeah, it's going to uh, really be a push. Uh, Shahid is running a very like movement-based model. He is really working with the communities and really working on the ground game to get the name out there. I think he's got enough time to really get competitive in the next cycle, especially like if Bernie's support in California is as strong and as hard as it is. And Pelosi comes out like sort of against Bernie as the establishment is leaning. It's going to make it really hard for also
0: with Bernie. Like, I think I'm I'm trying to remember if Bernie actually endorsed Shahid, but I know that he's got support from like Cornell West and a number of other folks that really testifies to the, the true progressive bona fides that he brings to the table. And if you're talking about wanting to actually see, some real progressive change Nancy Pelosi she ain't it like this we, we've seen that her politics do not actually represent a path forward with Medicare for all or support for a green new deal so if you have any interest in really reshaping how Congress is going vote for Shahid and, yeah. and get out there and knock doors for him make calls for him do everything you can to get Shahid further up that ballot and win some more of that support.
1: And uh, moving a little bit farther down the state to the northern end of L.A. County, uh, District 23, which is currently held by Kevin McCarthy, who is the uh, minority leader in the House, Uh, he he won the primary against uh, Kim and Kim John. Uh, Kim is going to be going on to the primary anyways because they're the only two running. But the thing I want to point out here is Kevin McCarthy only won fifty five hundred votes. That's a real (laughs) that's a real low bar to keep yourself as the minority leader in the House of Representatives. So I'm just saying Kevin McCarthy is way more vulnerable than he should. While he's got a lot of money, he's not actually a good politician or a smart man. Uh, So (laughs) we should definitely make sure to get him out of there. Uh, Other races that we're watching that were kind of interesting. Judy Chu is going on to the primary or going on to the runoff. She'll probably win her seat. Uh, In District 28, we endorsed maybe a girl. So far, it looks like uh, maybe is not going to be making it to the primary. But again, a lot of votes. Yeah, a lot of votes uh, left to be counted in that one. Things could flip. Uh, Angelica Duenas, uh, who is a very progressive uh, mm-hmm. candidate, is going to be going on to the primary or going on to the runoff in District Twenty Nine. Uh, unfortunately, in District Thirty, CJ uh CJ Bur- uh, uh, is not going to be going on. He was facing off against Adam Schiff, which Schiff has a lot of power coming out of the impeachment, even though that was like tactically and strategically done just absolutely horribly. And Schiff is just a puppet for the defense industry. Um, you know, I've always wanted to get Schiff in a room and be like, Hey, so kids in cages, not worth impeachment, but not selling missiles to Ukraine. Like that's when you flip your shit. Like of all the things to flip your shit over. You're like, we didn't sell them missiles fast enough. (laughs) Fucking Christ, man. (laughs) All right. Uh, other races that are interesting. Uh, Karen Bass, uh, my former representative uh, and my current representative, actually I voted for, uh, she's going to be going on, uh, which I think is good. She is one of the more progressive ish members of the U.S. House, um, especially coming from California. She's fairly involved in the community. I get a lot of calls from her updating me on lots of interesting stuff. Like, I'm happy to see her going through. I, I feel like she could be pushed a little bit farther to the left, but, you know, so be it. Uh, down in District 43, Auntie Maxine Waters will probably be keeping her seat in the runoff um, because she just. Kind of runs a really amazing machine down there. In District 45, Katie Porter is going on to the uh, runoff in November. Uh, She's been doing some really great stuff, holding the Trump administration's feet to their fire. Still a little bit like, eh, a little centrist for me, but so be it. Uh, In District 50, where uh, Duncan Hunter used to have it, uh, Amar Kampanajar <laughs> is going to be going on to the uh, primary and uh, hopefully winning it because he did to win runoff, this. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, he's you going to, to it, the runoff. <laughs> he did win the primary. So he's going into the, uh, the strongest position uh, going in there. Now, let's circle back because so many of you may have noticed <sighs> that I, I conspicuously left uh, Congressional District 25 <laughs> off of the list because Congressional <laughs> District 25 is a total CF. Uh, however, I am going to get, like, really excited here for a second uh, because Chank fucking Wegar, union buster that he be, uh, did terribly yeah, in he did both the uh, special election and the regular primary. So there's something interesting that I noticed here. So Christy Smith won both the special and the regular primary in the in the special election. She got twenty seven thousand six hundred fifty five votes. At in the point, regular yeah. primary, she got twenty two thousand three hundred fifty three. At this point, but I think it's interesting <laughs> that more people voted for her in the special election than voted for her in the regular <laughs> primary. And I'm not sure what explains that. Like, did people just get tired of voting for her? Were they like, "Oh, I just voted for her last time. I'm not voting on this one again"? It looks like that may have happened because most people's vote totals are down from the special. So it looks like whichever. It, it, well, I I get the feeling the special election. Mike Garcia. Election, yeah, Mike But G- he was also like the only well. Well, no. no so sorry. Steve, Steve, Steve Knight. Was there.
0: Steve Knight actually went up. Like he got yeah. 15,956 for the general, for yeah. the primary and 14,391 for the, the special. Weird. So uh, yeah, yeah, weird. I don't, know. I, I, don't, I think, is, I think a lot of bizarre. people
1: voted in the special and then like skipped to the next page. We're like, well, I'm not going to vote for it again. Screw that. Uh Even though it's for holding well, the seat for two different. What's periods, also but- funny
0: is that like Annabelle Vadas Ortega got like 2,300 votes for the, for the primary and got 4,000 votes for the special. So like I don't know how you know fifty percent of Anibal's, uh you know voters just decided not to vote. Yeah, it, it's, it's no,
1: it's it's this weird. is just
0: weird shit.
1: But yeah, but it looks like uh, Chank Weigar is sitting about uh, five and a half percent, uh, pulling in about forty two hundred ninety eight votes in the regular, and then pulling in fifty one hundred in the uh, in the special. Uh, he spent three quarters of a million dollars to get about five to six percent of the vote. <laughs> Um, which I, the five to six percent that definitely would have gone to Christy Smith. And I think we'll go to her again, um, especially because the other option is Mike Garcia. I will give Mike Garcia some props uh, because we were worried about like, how are we going to stop Steve Knight? And lo and behold, the GOP like, <laughs> Split stepped ticket. on their own toes and stopped Steve Knight for us. So thank you because that man is terrible and he should never have power over anything. And yeah, no, like it's been a bit of controversy in the ground game office Uh, seeing the way that Katie Hill went after we helped get her elected and being like, you know, we probably won't knock doors for you next time. But when you're faced with a devil like Steve Knight, you know, any baseline Democrat will do. And I don't mean that the like vote blue no matter who, but like when you've got an imperfect centrist versus like a raging fascist, yeah, yeah. you compromise on the centrist. Yeah. Like, yeah. you just do that. Um, also, no, no hacking in this election. Apparently, hey. uh, we've had no more news on on that scandal coming out of Katie, Katie of course, Hill's campaign. But we'll keep you updated if we do. But that, I think, for for me and my attention span, pretty much runs out. Uh, all of the races I did want to talk to to sort of toot our own horns. I uh, hear over at Knock, you know, our Knock Voter Guide got over a hundred thousand views, Woo-hoo. which. Holy shit, folks. Yeah. Like, that's a non-negligible number of y'all that are voting in this election that are reading our stuff. So that's cool. Uh, But beyond that, we made 59 total recommendations. Of those, 45 of them uh, either won the seat outright or will be going on to the runoff in November, which means that we called 76% of these races correctly, which is a little bit scary (laughs) for a bunch of folks who, like— just kind of get together and are like this sucks let's fix this. Yeah. So uh that was pretty cool and thank you all for making that happen. Um and also for passing it around. Really excited to do the voter guide for November and to see how much that grows. Uh but like just from like my own perspective as we're coming up on the uh 3rd year anniversary of Ground Game being founded, uh it absolutely boggles my mind that we have gone from like 10 people in a room who didn't really know what they were trying to do, but knew that they wanted to do something to having two of our organizers be interviewed for the LA times at Nithya's uh, victory party to have the knock LA voter guide as one of the top Google searches when you're looking for voter guides in LA uh, to just see like how much this has grown and how people are resonating with it. Because that's the point. It's not like as much as I enjoy showing up in front of a mic and listening to the sound of my own voice, because I do love it. So I really do. There's there's something really fulfilling about knowing that other people are getting something from this and that that's the whole point. You know, like, I very much believe in the theory of the Vanishing Mediator. If you've done something right, it's like you haven't done anything before. And I think Ground Game and Knock are, like, exploring how to build that on a civic level, especially in a city as huge and unwieldy as Los Angeles. Our involvement with the Nifthia campaign, our involvement with the Jessica Salins campaign— with Lorraine Lundquist, with R. Vasquez, with Cindy Otterson, with all of the different politicians and activists and organizers we've gotten to work with have made us better and stronger and smarter, and we know that we're benefiting them too. If we weren't doing that, we wouldn't still be around. We wouldn't be, like, throwing bigger victory parties. We wouldn't be seeing more volunteers week after week. Yeah. And it's insane that this model is working because, again, like, we have no fucking
0: clue what we're doing. No, we don't. We're just
1: making it up as we go along, and you can do that too. (laughs) Every Thursday night in Hollywood, 7.30, come to the office, drop by for one of our meetings, uh, see what we're doing and how we can like get this rolling in your neighborhood, in your community, how we can get you organizing and doing stuff. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're just trying to organize your apartment building, if you're trying to organize your office place, or if you're trying to organize an entire city council district, there's power to be grabbed there and you can do it because LA has a huge vacuum at the top and it's up to us to fill it. Absolutely. So uh,
0: with that said, uh, I mean, We do both very much enjoy listening to our own voices coming through (laughs) these headphones as we're recording. But uh, let's talk about some other things that folks can do to get involved as the next week comes up. We're going to be taking a little bit of time off. uh, With I think everybody should be taking a little bit of time off this weekend to just kind of recuperate a little bit because it's been a slog. So uh, that being said, the Black Lives Matter weekly vigil that's going to be happening again on Wednesday, as always, downtown at two eleven West temple. Uh, it's going to start at four and it runs until six this next week. Uh, it could be a big one because we will finally have a more clear picture and like actual tallies that show that Jackie Lacey is on her way to a runoff. And as actually, you know, being thoroughly challenged for the first time in her real political career. So, uh, come on out to that. it would be great to see y'all eleven West temple as always 4 PM.
1: And also just to push back against the bullying that the sheriff's department has been yes. engaging with, um, like in order for, cause they think that they can break us and they can frighten us away and we need to let them know, no, you can't Yeah, like, we are stronger than you are. We have more commitment to what we're doing. We're not here because we have a paycheck. We're here because this is about <laughs> yep. our lives. Yep. And
0: uh, as always, Latu has a number of meetings that are going to be happening in the next week. The Los Angeles Tenants Union, they've got their uh, Hollywood local happening on Monday evening at uh, 6.30 as usual. They've got the Northeast local happening on Wednesday from 7 to 9. They've got the North Hollywood local, the South LA local, and the uh, the East Side Local, all happening on Thursday, right around the same time as Ground Game. I think that those all start at six thirty PM. And as always, as Bushida was mentioning earlier, Ground Game, we've got our meetings from seven thirty till nine PM at fifty six seventeen Hollywood Boulevard, just a couple of blocks from the Hollywood and Western Red Line. Oops, sorry, uh, B Line? Is it the B Line? I don't remember what they named them anymore.
1: I, uh, it, it, it's the red line. I, the will red go line. To my, I will go to my grave. <laughs> I'm calling it the red line and the expo line and the blue line.
0: Yeah, but it's got a letter now. Anyway, uh, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to take part in, publicize, or just be made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at pod- podcast at this podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Check the description here for sources, links to the actions and social media. Thank you very much for listening and, uh, have yourselves a great weekend. It's been a hell of a fight these last few weeks. Whew.
1: Yeah. And just to leave us on a very uplifting note, remember it's not me. It's us. Have a great hell week yeah. y'all. Thanks.